Hey folks, welcome to another episode of the Brand Builder Show. Today I'm joined by my good friend Ben Leonard. Ben, welcome back to the show. You've been on before, but uh, here you are again. Welcome. It's good to be back, Ben. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's good. I'm, I'm glad you're here. Um, we are super pumped to uh, announce that we've just released a brand new course inside of Brand Builder University called Exit Engine, which Ben, you teach the majority of, and it's all about helping someone build a sellable e-commerce brand. So we're going to dig into some of the topics of that today uh, in way of uh, celebration. I don't know how podcast recording is a celebration but let's go with that and uh we're gonna you know just share some of the topics and um and really talk about what building a sellable brand looks like in 2023 so um that's gonna be fun before we do that for anybody that hasn't heard you your story before uh, i looked it up i think you were episode eight of the podcast this is episode 50 something now so it's been nearly a year since you were last on um who are you what have you done and what are you doing now Sure, yeah. So I got into e-commerce in 2016. My background before that was very different. I was an environmental scientist in the oil and gas industry <laughs> up here in the cold northeast of Scotland. Um, I had a big change in life. I got quite sick with a heart problem and I'm fine now. But for a while I was off work and off my fitness hobbies. Needed something to do. Started a fitness brand. Um, originally was going to sell those products into gyms but realized I could sell online. Turned out I was pretty good at that. And three years later, the business was doing annual revenue of $6 million, and I sold it in late 2019. And that was, it was actually the first European aggregator deal. I sold to Thrasio, um, and late 2019 now is a long time ago in e-commerce years. Um, the broker I worked with was pretty poor, and we managed to rectify some potentially catastrophic errors, my accountant and I. So she, Alison, and I decided to create a better brokerage. So we, we started Ecom Brokers. And that's where we come in with the exit engine module in uh, Brand Builder University. So these days I'm helping other people to plan and then execute their exit. I'm still building brands because I love it and I know how to make a brand into a valuable asset I can sell. And it, it means that I still understand what it's like to be in our clients' shoes and yeah. you know, be in the trenches every day of e-commerce. And yeah. I'm consulting and teaching people a little bit about what I know. Yeah. And you mentioned about brands that you are still getting in the trenches with. Can you give us a bit of an update how they how they go? Yeah, sure. So there's two brands of my own, and then I've got Equity and a few others as well. Um, so there's a boxing brand um, that launched uh, probably three months ago in the US. Uh, I co-owned that with my buddy. Uh, he was actually a competitor of mine. And uh, after I sold my <laughs> first brand, he booked me for some consulting. And then eventually, uh, I, I became his mentor and... Um, he runs the day-to-day -day and I, I provide the, the guidance and I put some capital in as well. So that's great fun. And then I'm developing with another buddy of mine, developing a baby brand. So the baby products that I used with my first daughter, um, some of them, I noticed some ways we could improve them. And uh, well, really, it's a parent's brand. The products are for parents, not babies. Yeah. And uh, I've spent quite a lot of money designing the first product and it's been a couple of years really in the making and it's still not ready. And we're going to run a Kickstarter for that later this year. So that's going to be really nice. fun. That's going to be you know a legit consumer packaged goods brand in retail as well as online yeah very cool very cool well hopefully we can weave some of that stuff into how you're starting that with the content that we'll kind of talk about in, in the episode um but we're doing this new slot that i'd love to sort of get some quick fire answers from you on um favorite five we're calling it fave okay. uh, your favorite uh, one of these five things uh, so i'd love to hear firstly what's your favorite e-commerce brand this changes all the time, but right now it's a brand called Elgato. They make electric equipment for podcasting, gaming, video casting, that type of thing. Elgato. Yeah. 
what is it you like about them I really love um, the content that they produce, helpful, free, compelling, engaging, useful information that provides value to me, that makes me know, like, and trust them. So then I will buy their stuff. So they market to me how I like to market to other people, which is great. I love the quality of the products, the range of things that they do. They know who their audience is, so they make products that solve problems for a particular group of people, and they do it really well. Yeah. Just a few things then. Good. Okay. Just a few um, I love it. No, that's awesome. I love it. I'm going to check that, check that out. Um, no, your favorite software tool uh, or software or tool that helps you run your business or life? Yeah, uh, really straightforward. First of all, it's Google Workspace. It's got everything mm. I need for multiple businesses with the email, the calendar, Google Docs, Sheets, uh, Slides, everything we could possibly need. And of course, Drive for collaborating. It's very simple. It's pretty a pretty obvious one and I make no apology for that. And then mm, the next yeah. one is ClickUp. You know, I've awesome. used various project management tools over the years, Trello, Asana, um, and others too, but ClickUp for me is the most powerful, easy to use. And mm. actually I've never paid a dollar for it because the free versions are really powerful. Mm. Yeah, and they're always adding so much more to it. They've raised so much capital, haven't they? So <laughs> they're that's growing massively. Yeah, that's good. Okay, uh, favorite organic marketing channel? Yeah, um, I'm gonna cheat and tell you too. Instagram and okay. TikTok. Okay. Yeah, I'm um, right, big good. fan of those. Um, it's so easy to just get the content out of there fast to a wide audience. Yeah. Good. Okay. And paid marketing channel? Instagram and TikTok. <laughs> nice. Big fan of advertising on there. Yeah. Good. Okay. And then, um, I mean, I'd love to talk more about TikTok ads at some point, but that's another topic for another day. Uh, and then finally, your favorite business book. It's the E-Myth Revisited. It's I a classic. I knew you were going to say that. Yeah. I knew you'd say classic. that. <laughs> a lot of people um, scoff and look down their noses at it because it is, it's great for beginners. And that's why I love it, because it keeps me focused on getting the basics right, which is why I probably read this book. I love audiobooks, and I usually listen to, to books these days, but actually this is one that I always come back to and read. So yeah. I have a really, really messy copy of this now, and I read this at least once per year. Great book. Yeah. I think if you were to, if someone said, oh, I want to get into e-commerce or run my own business even, it'd be up there with the top, you know, yeah, I'm sure you'd say top number one book, but in everybody's top three, top five books that you just have to read if you're going to build a business. I think so, yeah. Good. All right, man. Thank you for those. That's very uh, insightful. Um, we talked about some of the new brands, and we'll, like I said, we'll try and weave some of the stuff into that. Um, but just from an M&A perspective, mergers and acquisitions, as it's um, sort of known, but you know, really just the ability to sell an e-commerce business, that space, which you're obviously heavily in with e-com brokers, and as we've said, uh, helped us uh, really with building our exit engine course, which by the way, guys, I forgot to mention, if you do want to grab the course, there's a uh, pro special promotion in the, um, it'll be a link in the description below. Um, I'm so rubbish at promoting our own stuff. I've got to get better at that um but this is um yeah just i was reviewing the content again uh, a couple of weeks ago and just um you know i kind of have grown to know uh, about your insight and the, the quality of input you have been but i was reviewing it and thinking gosh this actually is so so good it's so helpful to be able to have you know you in the community sharing this knowledge is is incredible um you, you're right there on the forefront of mergers and acquisitions uh, building sellable brands so give us some insight into what is the lay of the land right now as you said 2019 uh, was a long time ago you, you sold to aggregators an aggregator before it was cool to sell to aggregators and a lot has changed in the last few years what's it like in 2023 yeah 
It's a really good question, and I think to to explore what's going on in 2023, we do have to take a, a quick look back in time at what happened in, in 2020, 21, and 2022. Mm. So in 2020 and 2021, um, we had a completely different macroeconomic environment with very low interest rates, which meant aggregators could get money very cheaply, so they could afford to to pay more, more often, more freely for businesses that they didn't weren't necessarily that good and the general covid lift on e-commerce as well obviously changed the macroeconomic environment aggregators were buying just about anything for ridiculously high multiples sometimes we were seeing pretty average or even not very good businesses being sold for four five six x and they were doing this in order to quickly scale the business model of the e-commerce aggregators, who, by the way, are not the only people that you can or should sell your business to, and you'll you'll learn that when you when you go through a mature M&A process. But the business model of aggregators is to acquire profit cheaply for a low multiple of profit, call it three x, and then within their portfolio, all the brands that they have acquired are immediately worth more together. And they're sitting at seven, eight, nine, ten, even up to fifteen x. And then the plan is either sell their portfolio or part of their portfolio at a profit, or go public. And none of them have gone public yet. And then there was a big change. The macroeconomic environment has shifted for a variety of reasons, but of course we saw the end of COVID, or uh, the COVID landscape change significantly, and that shopping spree we all went on has ended. Supply and demand dynamics have changed significantly because we've had so many factory closures across China and across other manufacturing hubs like Vietnam. So we've had limited supply, but still lots of demand. Shipping prices went through the roof. Thankfully, they're now coming down. And aggregators have come to realize that they're not actually that good at running many of these brands and it's a lot harder than they thought it would be. And many of these brands that they acquired when it was easier to sell on Amazon are less easy to run now because over the last couple of years, Amazon has got harder and harder with more competition, tighter rules, and it's much more of a pay-to-play dynamic now. Mm. So that takes us to where we are now. We're not in a bull market anymore. Whereas before, many people were getting emails from aggregators every day saying, hey, we want to buy your brand. Now it's harder than ever. You don't know who might buy your brand. Getting deals over the line is harder than ever. Aggregators are cautious. They've been burned by buying things that didn't work out which means that they are more and more stringent about what they buy. Um, They are focused now more on developing their existing brands um, and getting their operations in order while still looking out for gems that they might buy in the future. So exceptional brands, great brands will still sell for a strong multiple, but the days of having a mishmash of stuff that you sell on Amazon and selling that for a good multiple are over, or even selling it at all. Um, But there are still opportunities. And there are still new aggregators coming into play who are raising money now because these guys are e-commerce people who've gone to the financial guys to get money to buy e-commerce brands rather than being financial guys who don't understand e-commerce who are trying to raise money to buy e-commerce businesses. So in 2023, what's going to work is uh, growing your business, doubling down on building a legit brand and looking to to sell a strong brand this year, or if you're not quite there yet, working with the right people like us and by doing the the, 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 uh, the module um, exit engine to, uh, to get you in a stronger position so that you can exit as we, as we continue to move out of this, this economic uh, difficult time. Definitely. You, to your point there about not being able to sell a mishmash of products, 
it being a pay a pay to play environment. Do you think it's the end of the part time casual e commerce seller? No, because we have to be realistic here, and most people will be a part time e commerce seller when they start. I think it's great to be an entrepreneur. And the great thing about being an entrepreneur is we take risks and we create change and we create value. But I'm not of the um, reckless risk variety. And so I would never say to somebody, hey, go and quit your job um, immediately. And it's not realistic to suggest that people can do that. So the part-time e-commerce business owner will still exist when they're starting out. But they have to accept that they'll only be part-time by name. They'll still be working yeah. pretty pretty long hours and grinding it out until they get to a point that they can pay themselves and quit their job. Yeah. Good. Okay. Um, you mentioned about preparing your brand and, and working with yourselves to really get it in shape to be able to sell. In Exit Engine, you, you talk about, uh, you know, you, you teach in depth the, what's called the value pyramid, something that you've mm. kind of built out and, and taught on, you know, in real depth. Can you kind of briefly talk us through that? What are the stages of that? And uh, and then maybe we can dig into a few parts of that. And, and what I love about, um, obviously, what you're doing is a lot of people will sell a business and then kind of um, ride on those uh, good vibes for many years to come and teach people how to do it in, a, in a, an environment that's very different to how they actually sold him whereas you're in as we said in the trenches building new brands so yeah let's let's weave some of that in but the value pyramid why is it so crucial talk us through it a bit sure yeah so the value pyramid is one of several kind of models that we use at econ brokers to, to help our, our clients and it, it is the lens through which a buyer views your business and therefore through which you should view your business as you're preparing to sell. So imagine a Mayan or an Aztec pyramid, not an Egyptian pyramid, and you've got these steps. And there's five steps. And the biggest layer of the pyramid is at the bottom, that's brand. And the second biggest above that is growth and profitability. And then you've got risk. And then above that is transferability. And above that is documentation. And we would say that you need at least three of these layers to be in good standing to be able to sell your business. But the most important are the bottom two, brand and then growth and profitability. And the reason for that is that buyers want to buy a sustainable asset with longevity that has a strong growth history and a growth future. And you get that with a brand, with a legitimate brand identity that looks and feels and behaves like a real consumer packaged goods brand with intellectual property, with email lists and social media assets, with a tribe of raving fans who look forward to your next release and are eager with anticipation after they've ordered your product, will tell everyone how much they love your brand, will fiercely defend your brand and maybe love your brand. You know, think about how you feel about your favorite brands, whether that's something to do with your profession or your hobbies or even your favorite food products that are in the cupboard. You know, I love Marmite, right? Which for our American listeners is is this uh, strange yeast extract that we put in our toast here in the UK. <laughs> and for our, our Australian listeners, Marmite is be- better than Vegemite, hands down. Um, mm, and sure uh, <laughs> that's an argument for another day. <laughs> and so when you have these these tribe a tribe of fans like that you have that longevity and that sustainability and that future and that predictability and that safety and when you don't when it's just a mishmash of stuff you don't have that and the value of your brand is or business is significantly reduced 
And in the course, we actually go through some tangible examples where we literally look at two businesses that are doing the same numbers that we have sold, selling basically the same stuff, one with a strong brand identity and one without. And the difference at the time of sale was something like a million dollars. It really matters. Wow. wow. Um, and then the next layer up is growth and profitability, right? Buyers want to buy a business that's growing with at least 20% more uh, or more of, a, of an EBITDA margin, which is a technical term we get into on the course. But for now, we'll just call that profit. So you want, if you're not there, if your margins are lower than that, you want to think, well, how are we going to get there? So raising profitability on your current products by lowering costs and raising prices, perhaps developing more new profitable products and optimizing your marketing, for instance. And buyers want to buy a business that's growing, right? So mm -hmm. at least 20% year on year growth minimum, really. And they really get excited when you're doing that 30% or more. So that's the, the bottom two layers of the value pyramid, the most important ones. And I don't suppose I'll go into the whole thing right now. I'll leave that for the, yeah. for the course and you guys can go check it out. Yeah, definitely. Let's talk a little bit about brand because you say that's that's the most important and coming out of uh, an aggregator frenzy where they would just buy a quote unquote Amazon business. Now people need to build brands and it's something I think we are both very aligned on. Um, but how, how are you doing that? You know, someone that's just new to this that wants to build a real business and hearing you say, well, you've got to build a brand. Can you talk us through, you know, maybe the boxing brand you, you launched recently, seen some good success with that. But it's still early days, and I, I doubt that there's many people that know your brand name as a household name. So what, what are you doing to, to build that from, from scratch? Okay, so I think I ought to actually answer the question first of what is a brand? Because some mm. people will think, oh, um, a brand, great. Um, I'll just take my mishmash of stuff and put a logo on it and call it Dave's Stuff. <laughs> a brand, there's lots of definitions of brands, and there's lots of good ones. But one that I particularly like is a group of products that solve problems for a particular group of people. So you mentioned my boxing brand. So yeah, let's let's go with that. A group of products that solve problems for boxers in that case. Yeah. So the answer is not to slap a logo on it. The answer is to um, develop a brand identity. And brand identity is branding. And branding, again, my definition is different ones, is how you make people feel about your brand. Mm. And for most people, you're gonna want them to feel loyal, excited, proud, perhaps even love your brand. And we're going to make them feel that way through A, the quality of your products, right? Quality products themselves are marketing. And that's a concept that Seth Godin teaches a lot. But, but B, we're just going to teach that through our marketing because marketing is how you tell people about your brand. You know, if, um, if a tree falls over in the forest and no one is there to hear it, it doesn't make a sound. If you have the coolest brand and branding in theory, but you don't tell anyone about it because your marketing's not very good, might as well not exist. So mm. it's all about strengthening both your branding and your brand and your marketing. And the, the way to do that is to begin by forgetting, remembering that you don't, have, you don't own an Amazon business. Yes, Amazon, for most people listening to this, will probably end up being your main sales channel. That's absolutely fine. But it's not enough to have an Amazon account and a trademark and brand registry and then say, oh, I, I, now I own a brand. You need, it's like I said before, ask what your favorite brands have and what do they do? They learn about their customers. They, do, they go through an exercise to develop a customer avatar, which is basically understanding who your customers are, what their problems are, what the solutions they're looking for are, and how you ought to communicate with them. And then reflecting that in your brand by creating what I would call a, a brand avatar. And so we, we've gone through this from my boxing brand, right? We've carefully figured out who are our customers, 
What are their problems? What are their pain points and challenges? What do they value? What solutions are they looking for? Where do they hang out? And we create a brand that reflects that and we get in front of our customers by providing them with helpful, compelling, useful, engaging, free information like Elgato Brands does for me that I mentioned before, mm-hmm. Elgato, um, the electronics company. Mm-hmm. And this compels our customer avatar to buy. And this is going way beyond just slapping a listing on Amazon, right? And so mm-hmm. when our brand voice, our imagery, our the way we present our product, our email marketing, our social media content, the copy we use and the tone of the copy that we use matches our customer avatar. People will mm. gravitate towards us as a brand and feel that love for us. So that's a bit of a ramble, but the easiest way to get no, started is pick your favorite brand, even if it's in a totally different niche, and think about how they make you feel and how do they make you, what do they do? What is it that they do that makes you feel that way? And apply that to your business. Yeah. It's interesting because you talk about a lot of intangibles. And I think that's that's what I like about you. You know, everyone's zigging. And sometimes I feel like you zag in a, in a really positive way. And But I wonder with buyers, though, are they looking at these intangibles, tone of voice, how it feels? You know, we know that's important for branding. But what about a buyer? Are they looking at these intangibles? Or, or are there more tangibles that say, Okay, you've got uh, 2,000 people on an email list. You've got 5,000 followers on Instagram. That's what makes you a brand. Well, what, is there a tie-up between these two kind of aspects? Yes, yeah, so it's a really interesting point. And the answer is multifaceted because they mm. weren't looking at this, but it still mattered. And now mm. they, aren't, they are looking at it a bit more, and it, and it matters even more now. So let's start with when many of them... And when I say that, I'm talking about aggregators, right? Um, pr- the private equity-backed families of brands that we work with or sell to, they do look at this because they've been running brands for decades and they understand way more about this than aggregators do. Or at least the earlier aggregators and, and say the aggregators of a few years ago before they got their, their act together. Mm. So let's start with when they didn't really care that much. They didn't care that much about the size of your email list or what you were doing on Instagram. But ultimately, they did care about your numbers. And they did care about the growth and your numbers were better than everybody else's and your num- your growth was better than everybody else's because you did all this work that's why my business despite being me on a laptop and three part-time freelancers was crushing corporate brands we were doing six million dollars a year because i was doing all this work and they were just slapping a listing on amazon but more and more we are seeing more sophisticated buyers actually give a crap about brand. And suppose, you know, let's look at in particular the value of brand identity and and say a community-based brand. There isn't necessarily a number attached to it. A buyer wouldn't necessarily say your Instagram account is worth X or your Facebook group is worth Y. But these assets do make your brand bigger and they do make them grow faster. And we see it all the time. Same product, same niche. One has a brand, one doesn't have a brand. The bigger brand has grown bigger and faster, so it will attract a higher multiple. But there's another way to look at this as well. We also, you know, we work with buyers, sellers, sorry, business owners who actually are community driven. And the strategy looks like this at the, you actually prioritize growth as you start at the expense of profitability in the short term. And you're not, you're not generating much, if any profit. And then you become profitable for say the last 12 months before you exit. So you might run the the brand for say two to three years at low profit, building your audience, launching your products, establishing your brand identity. 
But before you go to exit, you then need to become very profitable. And this is great because you've proven two things. You've proven both your brand and the numbers. Mm. It'll be hard to sell your brand without any profitability unless you're doing very large top line numbers and you're very omnichannel. And you do, you do see that, in which case a strategic buyer, not an aggregator, but a strategic buyer might see you and want to come and snap you up and pay a premium. You see that especially in tech, right? Tech startups, they're not very profitable at all. Maybe, not, um, maybe actually loss making. But they can get they can sell but if you can prove the brand and then become profitable which we can do in e-commerce then that can be a really strong uh, strategy and i assume then that's the approach you're taking in terms of growth we've, we've mentioned brand a lot there when it comes to growth with again to use it as an easy example the, the boxing brand is a case of getting some wins on the board getting the numbers up to build that customer base is that all about making product sales to begin with or are you doing marketing that's less sales driven i mean so absolutely we're not generating a huge amount of profit yet um mm. and the, it, it's been about getting getting the numbers on the board getting the reviews up there getting seen one of our main uh, strategies right now is uh we're, we're experimenting with tiktok ads um mm. tiktok ads to result in sales on amazon and uh, shortly, as we begin to diversify uh, on our own website and through uh, channels like TikTok Shop. Mm. Yeah, it's a TikTok Shop. Um, someone mentioned it to me the other day. I'd, I'd not seen the power of it, to be fair, but you can list your products and you would assign like a commission, right? And then influencers can come and take that deal and promote it on their channel. And yes, it's a bit different to like a. Yeah. Yeah, there's an influencer marketplace in uh, TikTok. And you can sell your products directly through TikTok Shop, and you're giving way less of a cutaway to Amazon. Uh, they started TikTok Shop in the UK, and now it's launching in the US. What's going to be really interesting to see, and this would take us down a rabbit, another rabbit hole, so let's probably not do that. But it will be interesting to see what happens because there have been rumors that the US is going to ban TikTok. I don't think it'll mm. happen, but no. um, we have to watch this space. Mm. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I, I can't see it happening, but uh, they they would kill so many businesses. But uh, it'd be interesting. Okay, cool. Um, so yeah, the, the approach with the boxing brand is it been one product get that launched, and then another? Or have you gone for lots of products straight away? I would love to have launched a whole variety of products straight away, but there's only a certain amount of cash. Um, mm. We've launched. We started with two complementary products straight away. Uh, we thought about doing one, but then there's a related product that sells. Um, very nicely with the with the first product the first part is a pair of gloves mm -hmm. there's a related product that sells very nicely with those so it made complete sense to launch those two products concurrently and that strategy has actually worked really nicely in terms of the frequently bought together and then the content opportunities you get of people using both products together uh, on social media um, so that's worked really well and you know we're using youtube as well in an interesting way that i I've, i did with my first brand um and this is a strategy that i'll be teaching at seller sessions live little plug for that and doing that in may nice, yeah. um where we're using youtube both on the back end of the customer experience and the same assets on youtube then actually drive sales as well so that's really a really interesting approach yeah definitely it is very interesting um you, you mentioned about capital that you put some capital in what i know this is obviously a um you know how long is a piece of string maybe question but just to give people that are listening an idea of maybe again how it's changed that three four five years ago you might be able to start with you know a thousand dollars two thousand dollars and buy you know a few hundred widgets yep what kind of budget do you think someone needs to just really make a go at it now i like to be quite gloomy and conservative about this kind of thing 
um, especially when you're talking about people's savings and that type of thing. I don't want people to ever uh, bet what they can't afford to lose. Mm. Um, I think you need to make sure you're going to have at least around about 125% of whatever your monthly sales target is going to be once you've launched and you're taking over. So if you're aiming to generate $10,000 a month in sales, I think you want to have at least $12,500 capital and be aware that as your launch progresses, you may need to throw more in there as cash flow might become an issue. For some people, you won't need that much. You'll only need 10 grand. Some people will need more. They'll need 20 grand. It depends on what your product is, what your cost of goods are, how competitive it is and how hard it will be to to compete on marketing and what channels you're selling on. Yeah, yeah, it's good. I think that aligns quite well with what we say. We talk about matching your monthly revenue target with your investment in in your inventory because that should give you around about sort of three months worth to then you know, get some momentum. And so, it's, yeah, that's that's good to good to hear that. Um, anything else that you're doing strategically? Obviously, I know that you might not be in the day to day the weeds of it as such. Mm. You've got your your partner doing that, but just any anything else that um, maybe I haven't asked you that you think is pertinent to add how you're structuring this, how you are, because you're, you're in a unique position, right? You have built and sold a business. You help other people sell the business. So you're clearly, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you're clearly going to be going into this from day one. Let's build this in a sellable way. Um, yep. So is there anything anything unique, anything we haven't covered that's worth mentioning before we wrap up that uh, that you're doing with this brand? Well, actually, um, let me mention the other brand for a minute. So the other brand, because okay, yep. um, we've mentioned a lot about the first one, uh, which is heavy, heavy on the brand. The other one, we're really heavy on the intellectual property. So okay. I've spent um, something like 50K on developing a product from scratch with a top, top product designer which will have certain aspects of that design registered, which for US listeners is very similar to a patent. And what that is going to do is help create a moat around our business, create a, making sure that our product is, is quite uh, unique and is protected. Um, and it also means that we are very confident in the quality and the performance of our product when we go to market because we have had it designed by a top expert. Um, now, some people would not be comfortable with that level of spend, but in my opinion, I'm more comfortable with that level of spend because cheap is expensive and expensive is cheap. So if you get it right first time and spend more, you're gonna, it's going to end up being much more beneficial economically in the long run. And that's why I'm comfortable doing that. And um, yeah, that's, that's, we've really invested heavily in the intellectual property. Yeah. Do you feel like you've got the confidence to do that because of the brand that you've sold? Like obviously, not everyone starting out is going to have 50K to put into. Yeah. IP. I mean, it's all about it's all about um, um, relativity, right? So yeah. somebody else starting out, it might not be 50K, it might be 5K. Um, hmm. And again, only gamble what you're prepared to lose. For me, that's not really that much of a gamble because I'm not, I'm not putting it in a slot machine. I'm giving, I'm giving that to, I'm investing that in tangible intellectual property with a top mm. designer so even if the business doesn't fully work out that intellectual property in and of itself is actually worth something and apart from mm. anything else it's been a really thoroughly interesting learning process so perhaps we'll just call that an investment in my education mm. um, but yeah. i would always say to people you need to yes invest in things like intellectual property but only spend what you are prepared to lose and of course mm. you're going to have to take into account all your other costs like buying your inventory Etc. Etc. Which is all dealt yeah. with in, in Brand Builder University. 
Yeah, I mean, just slight change of topic on that you mentioned about investing in your education. Mm. Do you feel that you have got, uh, because obviously um, you've sold a brand for, for good money and, and I assume invested some of that money and still got some of that money, but uh, do you feel that has given you um, more of a confidence to bet on yourself because you've got more capital or does that not change? Is that just a a fallacy that people think well one i've got more money i'll make bigger bets or i'll believe in myself more or did, how does it how's that changed your mindset when you go about these new things i don't think it's changed my mindset that much i've always been a little bit risk averse and mm-hmm. i like to seek opinions from people that i trust before i do things so for instance i have an independent financial advisor who i rely on to advise me on what to do with my money you know, what do, mm. I, what do I do now that I've sold my business with my first question to her? And mm. she's advising me on things now related to, you know, we're building a house. So I ask her questions relating to that. I've always mm. used my dad as a sounding board, for instance. It's always good to bounce things off of people. And yeah, our financial position has changed, but that only, that doesn't change who you are. That just sort of amplifies who you are. The mm. underlying traits of your personality will always be there. It's just... It's just now at a, operating at a different level. Hmm. So I still yeah. try not to. I'm an entrepreneur, but and I take risks, but I take calculated risks after hmm. weighing everything up. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting because I think a lot of people think, well, one day when I sell a business and I'm in a better financial position, you know, I'll just I'll throw money at this, I'll throw money at that, and but actually, it's the mindsets and the uh, disciplines to not do things like that that help keep you. Uh, wealthy rather than just once be wealthy they're not again you know so i think um, yeah yeah, it's interesting interesting good okay all right well i know you're busy and we'll uh we'll look to sort of wrap up there where can people find out more about you and what you're doing with the brokerage and everything like that absolutely so we're ecombrokers.co.uk it's a uk domain but we're operating internationally we've even got our deal director for north america john looking after the u.s side Mm. of things too um you can find out about me personally at benleonard.pro I'm all over social. My handle on most channels is Ben Leonard Pro, and I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, you can email me, ben at ecombrokers.co.uk. And if you go to our website, fill in the form, we'll see how we can help you. You know, I would just say to people, you know, this is not a side hustle. If you take your business seriously, um, you can have a serious exit, and it could be life-changing. But the key is to, to plan ahead and, and think of that strategy early and work with the right people early. So come have a chat. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, thanks again, Ben, for coming on and dropping some more gold there today. And thank you again for your uh, input into Brand Builder University. We're pumped to see the impact of that over the the coming years. I know that there's going to be some amazing businesses built and sold. So, uh, yeah, really, really do appreciate your time. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. No problem. Awesome, guys. Well, thanks for tuning in to another episode today. Like I said, check out the uh, the link in the description to connect with Ben to find out more about him and also more about Exit Engine and the launch promo we've got going on for that. And uh, I will see you in the next episode next week. Take care.